our kids signed up for YouthCon. If you have questions, connect with Pastor Eli. He'd love to help you with that. Okay, you guys ready to dive into God's Word this morning? Awesome. Well, we're continuing our series talking about did God really say? And uh, last week, we, uh, we, we started to un- unpack the, the portion of the flesh and how uh, the enemy attacks our flesh. And we talked about how there are two spirits uh, that are sowing into our lives. The spirit of this world, which is, the, uh, which is Satan, the devil, who is constantly trying to sow to feed our flesh. And then we talked about the other spirit, which is the spirit of God that comes with the fruit that, with the seed that he has so that we can experience the freedom that comes from being in the spirit, right? And we looked at the seeds and we looked at how there is a seed of sin and we unpacked the seed of sin and how the seed of sin has these murderous uh, powers in it. Right? It is this deceptive idea that the enemy brings to, uh, to disorder our, self, our fleshly desires that don't line up with God. But he does that by these deceptive ideas with these seeds of sin that come into our lives. And they have these murderous powers. We looked at how sin kills the innocent. We looked at how sin uh, kills ideals and how sin kills the will. And if you missed that uh, message from last week or the whole series, encourage you to check it out on our app or on our website. You can catch up on the series. Today, we're talking about um, sowing that seed. <laughs> and when we sow that seed or whatever seed you're sowing, how we reap a harvest, okay? Sowing and reaping, right? Uh, the great law of return. And so we're going to be looking at sowing um, and, see, uh, and, and uh, reaping and making sure that we are sowing the right kind of seed. So this morning, we're going to jump in uh, to God's Word in Galatians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me or it'll be on the screen or you can uh, follow along on your digital device on the app. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So we see here, there's a, uh, there are two uh, forms uh, of seed. There's contrasting that's happening here. There's a contrast between flesh and, and spirit. We see that he's talking about uh, sowing to the flesh and sowing to the spirit. And we see there are two uh, kinds of fruit that we will harvest, right? There's a kind of fruit that may not be very healthy, or there's a kind of fruit that will bring us life uh, and, and hope. Um, and we also receive a command. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And, and I don't think we, nobody in here is intentionally saying, I'm going to mock God. <laughs> but when we, when we kind of fall into the deceptiveness of the enemy, and we, when we, we start to kind of walk in the path that is not honoring to God, or we start to do the things that um, don't line up with God's word, we, we kind of in a way say, you know what, God, <laughs> that's all good. I'm just going to do my thing. 
right? And we don't intentionally do that, but we still kind of do that, right? None of us are perfect. We're all in that boat. But he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Deceptive ideas is the starting point of how the enemy gets to us. The source of uh, deception, deceptive ideas is uh, the devil's way of bringing death and destruction. He brings an idea, a thought, a concept that is uh, the seed of sin. Now, it doesn't look like sin when it shows up. And we, if you remember, as we've unpacked in this series, when, when we go back to the garden, it all started, the original origin of sin in the garden. We see how Satan comes to the woman, and he doesn't say, oh, look, I'm bringing sin your way. No, no, no. He comes and he goes. He starts with this idea, this thought that starts to look okay because he takes God's ideas and he twists it. So it is God's idea, but it's kind of twisted. So you're really confused because you're like, it looks like God's idea, but it looks presented different. So you're kind of in this area and you walk into it and then boom, you, you fall into that trap. So what we see here is that we know that the seed of sin uh, is from the enemy. And he's constantly knocking on our door with this seed. And something that we need to know about the devil, and uh, Pastor Eli and this, and I kind of touched a little bit on this as well. The enemy is always studying you. The enemy is always studying you. He's, he knows every strength and every weakness in your life. He knows exactly where he can push or where he can drop that seed so that it can take root and, and start to grow. So when we fall into that sin trap, now that sin starts to take root and it starts to grow and we start to see a fruit that starts to emerge. But this, this sin uh, seed that the enemy brings to us is very attractive. If you remember, the woman in the garden looked at the fruit and, and noticed how attractive it was. It was very attractive to our eyes. And that's just how uh, the enemy camouflages sin. He ca camouflages by bringing this attractive thought on an attractive idea that is kind of lining up with our flesh and our fleshly desires that we can resist and so we step into it and once we step into it, the attractiveness disappears and we realize after a while that inside of that fruit was poison that was starting to eat us from the inside out. And so we see this one seed that the enemy brings leads to death and destruction. But this morning, I also want you to know that there is, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope. There is another kind of seed that we can sow that is the seed that comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that wants to bring the seed of God, that wants to bury, plant it in our hearts so that it can start to take root and it can start to grow and we can reap a different kind of a harvest. The Spirit we talk about here that, that brings the seed of hope, that brings the seed of truth, 
that brings the seed of restoration. The seed that is found in Christ. And so no matter where you are in your life, and maybe today you may, during this message, you may go, man, wow, how did I get here? How did I fall into that trap? How did I, how did I allow the enemy to bring me to this spot? Even if you are there this morning, I just want you to know that all it takes is making a 180 towards the spirit of hope which is the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit that wants to put a different seed that can start the reverse process in your life. So this morning, you have a choice of seed. You get to choose this morning. And I always tell people, every choice has a consequence. Good or bad, they have consequences. Okay? So let's look at these seeds. So we, we talked about the seed of sin last week. So let's just unpack the seed of sin. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. The seed of deception. What does it lead to? Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That is just a list of the sin, the seed of sin that can take root and then lead into the things that we see in this in this passage of scripture. And I'm sure all of us have been in one or many of those camps at one time or another. Because we're all sinful people. We're all broken people. But there is hope in Jesus Christ. We've been restored in Christ, right? And so we see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the, the opposite of that, the seed that comes from the Holy Spirit that starts to change us from the inside out, that starts to start a new process inside of us. And by the Holy Spirit produces, the, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. It produces love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And I looked at that list, and every part of that list is very, very important. But one that I bold, uh, maybe it's on there, maybe not. Okay, I made bold in my notes, is self-control. Think about that for a second with me. Self-control. What would our lives look like? Just think. What would our lives look like if we had self-control? Think of every fleshly desire that we have. Is it the lack of self-control? Maybe it's our coffee addiction. Maybe it is our shopping addiction. Maybe it is our, um, maybe, well, for me, it'll be landscaping addiction. Maybe it is a cell phone or surfing the net or social media. 
Or maybe it's some other forms of addiction. Maybe it's a gambling. Maybe it's an alcohol-related addiction. Maybe it's pornography. Various addictions that, if we just had self-control, <laughs> that could change. A man reaps what he sows. So when we sow to the flesh, every time we sow to the flesh, which we defined last week, how flesh is our animalistic craving or our human nature without God, right? It is the part that we live without the control of God in our lives. Or, or every time we, we sow to the flesh, we give in to our flesh's disordered desire to sin. We plant something in our heart Right, And I'm not referring to the organ, our heart, because the Bible talks about the heart is the mind, soul, uh, the intellect, the emotions, our mind and our soul. When we, we plant something in there, which is in our mind, which begins to take root and grow and eventually yields the harvest of a disformed, destructive, disordered nature. When we sow to the flesh. So when we look at this seed... We've got to understand that it's an idea, a deceptive thought, an idea that the enemy brings. And we see this in Genesis when he came to the woman in the garden. He brought this idea. He brought this thought, a seed, right? It's a, it's a deceptive thought. But not all ideas are bad. Not all ideas are bad. Ideas can be truthful, realistic, and life-giving, okay? <laughs> but ideas can also be lies, unrealistic, and destructive. Here's something that we need to know. We are, you and I, you and I are the only creatures, humans, created in the image of God that have the capacity to imagine an idea, an unreality, and make it reality. We're the only humans that have the capacity to take an idea, an unreality, and make it a reality. What isn't but could be. In other words, we have the power to take an idea and make it come to life. Like maybe putting a man on the moon. <laughs> maybe inventing 5G. How many of you enjoy the 5G network and we lose it and we go, can the internet be any faster, uh, right? Or, or maybe the electric car, the Tesla, or, or, or maybe virtual reality and the gaming and all of these different ideas. They were an idea at one time. But man took it, and then he made it reality. This is a genius that God created in us. It was a good thing. God created. Remember in Genesis, God created everything, and he said it was good, right? Seven times it was good. It was very, very good. God created this inside of us. It was a good thing. But in the wrong hands, it becomes Achilles' heel. In the wrong hands. The reason is because we can take that same reality or take an unreality, an idea, and make it reality and truth. It was a lie, but we just made it a truth. The seed, the idea we sow is from the spirit of this world, the devil, feeds our disordered desires and the flesh. It will produce destructive fruit, fruit that leads to death. On the other hand, 
If the seed, the idea we sow from the Spirit of God, the seed of truth, it will produce good fruit. Fruit that leads to life and health. Dallas Willard put it this way, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas, our thoughts. See, the idea that we believe in our minds, then we let in to take root in our bodies, our flesh, gives shape to the trajectory of our soul. Put another way, they shape how we live and who we become. Ideas define who we are and who we become and how we live and how we carry ourselves and how we portray ourselves. See, said this last week, we sow an act and reap a habit. We sow a habit and reap a character. We sow a character and reap a destiny. What destiny are we headed to? So I'm going to unpack this a little bit using an example. But before I do that, I know that this series has been challenging. It has been um, touching on parts of our lives that maybe we don't want touched. I know that this can feel uncomfortable at certain stages, depending on what camp we are at or what season of life we're at. But I want you to hear my heart before I unpack this. I do not have a political or social agenda here or to create separation, exclusiveness, no. My heart is to include everyone. And the reason is that I truly, as your pastor, care about your soul and of the souls of the people living in this town, in this community, which the enemy is out to destroy. He's on a mission to steal, kill, and destroy. So when I share the truth of God, I bring that truth with love and grace because I believe that the church is a hospital for the sick. And we're all sick. So please, if something that I share or have shared or share today or in the next few weeks makes you uncomfortable, understand it is not to cast judgment or to push you away, but to say, hey, let's all come together. We're all on this together. Let's do life together. Let's defeat the enemy and not each other. And let's make progress. You have the choice to explore the truth and to land on where you want to land. I just want to clarify that as we unpack this. So if we look at, if we reap what we sow, let me broach this sensitive example by un uh, unpacking a concept and give you some context using real life scenarios. Okay, so with that, let's, let's kind of unpack the sexual liberation, the revolution of 1960. This was a seed. It was an idea. It was a thought that was planted in the minds of humans that set into motion a cascading effect. 
It reversed the start of the revolution, reversed a long-standing moral consensus around promiscuity, separating sex from marriage. And I said this last week, sex was a good thing that God created. He created it for the context of marriage, to bring a man and a woman, a husband and wife, into an intimate relationship, a bonding. It was a good thing. Everything that God created, and you will see in here as I unpack this, that God created something for order, for good, for our benefit. But what we see here is a shifting for disorder and destructive lifestyle. How many of you agree that fire is good? Right? Right now, we're getting ready to go in the winter. The fire is good. It keeps us warm. How many of you like to eat a good barbecue? Fire is good, right? Amen. And there's, uh, how many of you love light? When the electricity goes out, fire is good. It gives us light. We can see where we're walking, right? But that same fire, outside of the fireplace, in a wildfire, becomes very destructive. It ruins life, ruins uh, livestock, ruins land. It's destructive. It was good when God created it within the context of what it was intended for. But when we take it out of that context and we apply it in a different scenario, what happens? It becomes very destructive. So keeping that as a backdrop, let's look at this. So the reversal, separating sex from marriage. It then led to the advent of birth control and legalization of abortion, separating sex from Procreation. Procreation. The means to end life in made in the image of God. Right? God was creating life through people, through, uh, through uh, new life, the image of God. Then the legalization of non-fault divorce turned covenant, which was the only institution that God created, the covenant of marriage. It was a representation of God and his church, the bride, right? And so we see the covenant of marriage created, but the legalization of non-fault divorce turned covenant into contract. Also separating sex from intimacy and fidelity. The deformation of family, which brings help. Then, this led to tender and hookup culture, which separated sex from romance between a husband and a wife, to a get-your-needs-met culture. Does this sound a little selfless to selfish? Christ-like to know Christ? This then led to the LGBTQI plus revolution, which separates sex from the male-female gender, or the binary. Everything that God created for good is starting to look upside down. The current transgender wave, an attempt to separate gender from the biological sex. How did we get here? An idea, a seed, 
that took root in 1960, satisfying the flesh, put into motion some destructive lifestyle behaviors and beliefs. So can we ask a few clarifying questions? Has the revolution left people in a better place and a space? Are people more loving and happier? Are we, as a society, thriving in a way that we weren't prior to the liberation? Are we? These questions are not talked about because they portray a very ugly truth. Happiness levels have been on the decline since the 60s, even though we know that collation does not imply causation. It's an interesting coincidence that happiness levels have started to decline since the 60s. Looking at attachment theory, divorce is a very traumatic event in the life of children. This causes a struggle for intimate relationships in adulthood. Psychologists argue that uh, the drop in those who identify as having secure attachments is wrecking havoc in our society. Those who cohabited before marriage are less likely to marry, are more likely to get divorced. If they do, they often develop a long-term trust issue, which causes family dysfunctions. Research on oxytocin and vasperin are the two chemicals released by our bodies during sex that brings our attachment systems online and causes us to bond to our partners. This was designed by God. It was a design of God. It seems that the more partners you and I have, the less capacity our bodies have for intimacy. And then you throw pornography and the digital screen, intimacy levels drop. Much documented but little talked about that on the effect of abortion on women's mental health and physical health. The fact that porn is becoming increasingly violent, cruel, and now a multi-million dollar in industry intentionally targeting kids. The increase in sexual abuse and assault. One out of every four women will experience sexual violence. The rape culture that is a raging problem in most progressive elite campuses around our nation. Last month, we had one at Pitt State. The post-revolution life is inflicting great damage on our souls and our society. Psychologists uh, cite an unprecedented mental health crisis among young people. Is it possible that there's a correlation between healthy families and the dynamics that we're having with mental health? Is it possible? An increased use of record-level psychotropic meds Drugs that affect a person's mental health. Maybe to numb the pain or the struggle. 
across the United States, drug overdoses are higher than they have ever been, and life expectancy is declining. Our high schools right now have plans for drug overdose in their schools. Meanwhile, broken children take to the streets in gangs or as solitary shooters, proving that loneliness fuels evil. The sexual revolution is not the only force contributing to today's dysfunctions, but is the single most important cause for social disintegration. The liberation is starting to look more like enslavement. A deceptive idea, a seed that was introduced into the flesh that started as an idea that has had a cascading effect that is exploding and the harvest is wide and destructive. Like I said, we all find ourselves somewhere in some camp when we go through that list and we've been in one of those camps or maybe we are. But there is hope. There is healing. There is grace. That is why Jesus stepped onto this planet. If talk about the flesh has you feeling bad, give careful thought to what you do with those feelings. If that's a habit, an entertainment choice, a budget line item, or a relationship that has you feeling uncomfortable. I know we touched on the area of sexual revolution, but this applies in any area that starts to become, uh, uh, that makes us a slave to it. The flesh. Any area of the flesh. But I encourage you to pay attention to it. One of the things that we do as human beings is when we notice it, we run and we hide. We go into isolation, and we'll talk about that next week. Isolation is the worst place to be because it is where the enemy wants you. He wants to hide you in a, in a, in a lonely place so that he can attack you. But being surrounded by people that love you is the place that you need to be. The place that you need to be is in the presence of God. The place that you need to be is opening your heart Remember the heart where the seed is planted and it takes root. Opening your heart for the Spirit of God to come in and start to do a work because the Spirit of God can transform any heart. Let me say that again. The Spirit of God can transform any heart. I just saw Austin sitting right up here and you can talk to him and ask him his story. But man, talk about a transformation story. The Spirit of God can change any heart. No matter where you are in your life right now, no matter what decision you've made, no matter what direction you're walking in, if it's not in the direction of God, He can change it. He can realign it. He can bring you back into His space. Our heart is where the seed grows. Now understand this, Flag Church. God created our heart. <laughs> the heart, the soil. God created that. He is the creator of good things. The seed lands on our heart. And it was intended for the Spirit to drop His seed so that health, life, fulfillment, may grow in us. Unfortunately, the heart was deceived. 
and we've allowed the enemy of deception to plant the seed that has disordered our flesh. But there is hope this morning. It is called Jesus Christ. And He wants to restore that heart. He wants to change it back. I'll end with this. There was a story of a father that had two sons. And these two sons loved the father well. And one day, one of the sons decided that he was done being with the father. So he came to the father and said, you know what, father, I, I, uh, I just, the world seems so nice and so welcoming. I just need to go do my thing. He was deceived by the seed of the enemy. He bought into the lie. He looked, took the lie and made it the truth. So he left the father. The father gave him his blessings. He left the father and walked into the world. And he went into the world and he started doing everything we saw there that the flesh does. And he was enjoying life. It was so awesome. It was so amazing. Waking up every morning, he had anything and everything he wanted. A selfish lifestyle. He was living it. He was doing it. He was having fun. And then one day it happened. The attractive fruit wasn't attractive anymore. It started to release the poison inside of him. He started to be blinded. He was blinded to the truth. The veil was in front of him. He couldn't see the truth. And he woke up and he realized how messed up he was. He was in this space where he was so messed up. And he looked back and he realized how much he was missing in the father's house. The day he realized that was when the veil was lifted and he saw the truth. He saw the love of the Father and he was like, what is happening? Why am I in this messed up state? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so broken? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so lost when the Father has so much? So he got up. He was not sitting in his lonely cell. He got up and he walked towards the Father. He had already written out his apology letter. He had everything written out saying, man, I'm, I'm so sorry, Father. I messed up. I did all this. He had everything planned. He was walking to the Father. But you know what? The Father saw him from a distance. He saw him walking and he's like, that's my lost son. And guess what the Father did? Did he wait? Did he wait for the apology letter? Did he wait to say, oh, yeah, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Right? No, no, no. What did the father do? The father ran to him. The father ran to him. And he embraced him and he hugged him. And he put this garment on him, the garment of grace that we talk about here at Flag Church. The father put the garment on grace, of grace on him and he loved him and he hugged him and he kissed him and he had a celebration and it was so awesome. It was a change of heart. The father received him. But there was a different side of that story too. Some of us are in that camp and we need to run back to the father. But there was, there was the, the other son. He walked up and he was like, he was all mad. He was all mad that the father had just thrown a party and invited the son back in. What was wrong with that? What, what was the problem there? He was the good son, right? Some of us that come to church every Sunday... But he had lost focus on the Father. We can come to church every Sunday and be mad about the person that just received something amazing. We need our hearts touched too. Every one of us needs a connection with the Father daily. 
Guys, this morning there's hope. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you stand. I've asked the worship team to lead us in a song. I said this morning, don't live in isolation. Run to the Father, right? I want to invite you to run to the Father this morning. I want to invite you to come to the Father. During this time of worship, if you have felt anything in your heart, I want you to come to the Father. Come to the altar. I want to invite you to come and find this spot. And if you come, maybe somebody will come pray with you, but don't have to. It's you and God, an opportunity to realign your heart with the Father. But maybe somebody will come pray with you. But I don't want to give this message to you this morning and not give you an opportunity to receive hope. The hope is waiting on you to act this morning. So lead us out, worship team. I want to encourage you, if that's you, anyone, everyone, come step into the Father's grace this morning.